Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So last week, we started a brand new series uh, called Rethinking Religion, and we're we're going through the book of Galatians, looking at what these people were going through, uh, looking at what exactly it was that Paul was was trying to teach them. And the idea is that sometimes uh, we can be incredibly impressionable while learning new things. Uh, Everything can be taken as truth, whether it is or not. And and sometimes uh, we have something else that's called mission drift. And so the, the easiest way for me to think about this is uh, my least favorite part of driving. And that's when you're changing lanes, you're supposed to look over your shoulder, right? I have the hardest time with this because when I look over my shoulder, you know what my hand wants to do? It wants to go with me, right? Wherever you're looking, that's where your hand goes. And it's, it's just like walking. I'll find myself walking down the street and I'm reading a sign and I start, and I'm going in the total wrong direction. So wherever your focus is, you can find that you start to get a little bit of mission drift. And at the end of the day, what both of these cause to happen is you lose your focus. You lose what's most important. And so, have you ever heard the saying, keep the main thing the main thing? Have you ever heard that? Keep the main thing the main thing. All right, like three of you have heard it. So, so basically what it means is whatever's the main thing, keep it the main thing. I know, it's pretty, pretty self-explanatory, but, but the idea is, you know, if, if we're going to something, if you're a part of something and, and there's a, a mission-driven idea behind it, Sometimes it can get easy to get lost in all of the little things that it takes to bring that together. And instead of focusing on all the little things that have to happen to make it work, let's focus on the main thing. Let's remember what the mission is. Let's remember why we're here. And so we're taking the time, just like the Galatians had, to kind of take a step back and rethink what we know is truth. What is that main thing? What should our focus be? When we come to church every single week, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday or whatever other day that we're here, what is the purpose? What's at the heart of everything that we do? And so see, the question that I want you to ask while we're going through this whole series is right now in your life, personally ask the question, what is the main thing? What is it that drives you? What is it that causes you to make the decisions that you make? What is it that causes all of those little things that have to come together to make your life work What has you dictating what those little things are? What decisions that you're making in those areas of your life? And so see, as human beings, we have innately in our souls, the way that we're designed, the way that creator God wired us is that we would worship. I want to make this clear. This is not a choice. We will worship something. Ideally, that's creator God who made us. But sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's soap operas, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's your friends, uh, sometimes it's, it's your appearance. I mean, we could go down a list. There's all sorts of different things that, that sometimes these become the main thing because our focus has shifted. Our focus has gotten in the wrong place. And so what, what we have to understand is that sometimes we can take a God thing or a good thing and turn it into a God thing. Do you get what I mean by that? Taking, taking a good thing and turning it into a God thing. So kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how this can happen sometimes, even in churches. 
is, is our Sunday morning worship music, right? We, we like coming together and singing songs and having music. And, and I think it's, it's pretty evident. All of our have our, our own musical preferences. We all like our own, our own things. And uh, I've seen some churches out there that, I mean, all they do is bluegrass on Sundays. And I think it's the weirdest thing because that's not my preference. Some of you might like bluegrass. It's not for me, not my thing. Uh, but we all have our, our different preferences behind that. And so it's really easy then to say, you know what, I'm going to go to this church because regardless of everything else, I like the worship here. I like the music here. And now what you've done is you've taken a good thing and made it a God thing. Because what's the main thing now? The main thing has become something that was created, something that God gave us to look back to the main thing, to point back to him, to point back to that gospel that we've talked about. All of this has to culminate with what, what we talked about last week, which, which if you weren't here, we broke down last week that Paul really just drove home in those first five verses of Galatians. This is the gospel. You have to know first and foremost the gospel, that Jesus Christ is God. And, and because we're man and because we sinned, we made a mistake. He came to earth and lived as a man. He died on a cross, rose from the grave, and offers us eternal life. That's pretty good news, right? So that's, that's the gospel. That's what's got to be the main thing. It's, it's not the preacher. It's not the music. It's, it's not anything else going on the stage. It's not even the people in the seats. It's not the numbers or, or anything else that's going on. It's got to be Jesus. That has to be the main thing because as soon as you take a good thing and turn it into a God thing, that's mission drift. You've lost your focus. You're totally off base. And so Paul, building off of what he talked about last week and building up that this is the gospel, this is the main thing, then he turns to start getting them to rethink. I'm going to show you again the focus. Now let's take a step back and look at where you are at what you're doing right now. And then I'm, I'm going to let you analyze that and see if where you are now is that where you're supposed to be. And so Paul starts out in verse 6 this week, and it's still in Galatians chapter 1. And Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Sometimes it's shocking how quickly people can change their minds. Sometimes it's shocking how quickly people can turn their backs on you, right? I mean, we've seen this. And, and so uh, my daughter, who I talk about plenty, um, is in full two-year-old daughter mode. I mean, full swing into this. And what I mean by this is two things. One, she has all of the attitude of a two-year-old. You guys might not see it here. Some of you do. But, but not all of you see it here. But oh man, when we get home, this girl has got some attitude, but additionally, she's in full mode daughter swing, which, I mean, whatever attitude comes with that, it's also there. I mean, she is just exactly what you would expect from a two-year-old daughter. And so, so she's got all this attitude with her and everything, but I mean, this is an incredibly loving kid. I mean, she is all about loving people, and she's always walking around with her little baby dolls and feeding it. She buckled her baby doll into Parker's car seat the other day, and I mean, she's all about this. Uh, we have to keep her from smothering Parker a little bit because she loves him so much. Uh, but in, in the midst of all of this, she, she's two, and two-year-olds are fickle, right? So she, she does these things where she, I mean, she loves hugs. And so she'll come, and, and mom will ask her for a hug. And, and she does the cutest thing when she gives hugs. She'll come over and she'll say, yeah. She comes over, she wraps her arms around you, and she goes, aww. 
And she, she always does this when she gives hugs. And so she'll go to mom and she'll give her a hug like that. And then I'll go, hey, can dad have a hug? No. <laughs> what? Like, what did I do to you? You were just in such a good mood. And then she just goes back and she keeps playing. She's doing her thing. And dad's just left to figure out what he did wrong, right? And just so quickly how her mind changed, how, how things shifted for her. And, and this, to some extent, this is expected in a two-year-old, right? This is, this is why we pray for children's church, because the people who are in there having to deal with the kids who are always changing their minds, always looking for the next thing, always, always just going after something new, and, and those people are brave enough to try and keep up with them. So we commend you for what you do in children's church. And, uh, but, but we expect that from children, Right? Do we expect that from grown adults? I mean, sometimes we see it, but it's not the same, right? I mean, you don't typically have a grown adult who's in the middle of working on a project and then goes, you know what, I want to do a different project, and then just goes and leaves and does something. No, we we typically want to finish what we're doing. There's satisfaction in bringing a thing from start to finish. And so how much more do we not expect this then in the church? That we would have a mission, we would have a focus, we would have a goal, and we would start it, and then we would just say, you know what, I just, I think I want to start this other project, I want to do something else. And we totally change our mission. But I want you to key in on this, because it's, Paul says it's astonishing how quickly the Galatians changed their minds. He went there and he preached the gospel to them, and then suddenly they've changed their minds, and Paul's, how did that happen so fast? You're grown adults. You're not supposed to change your mind this fast. But I want you to key in on this point here. Paul says, I am astonished how quickly, if we can go back to that one real quick. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. He doesn't say, I'm so, I'm astonished how quickly you've left the gospel. I'm astonished how quickly you've left the truth. I'm I'm astonished how quickly you've stopped trusting me. Paul doesn't say any of that. Paul says, I'm astonished how quickly You've deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. And of course, that that him is the God of the Bible. The the God that we come here to worship, that we come here to lift up. And and how quickly, sometimes for some of us even, how quickly we've left him for something else. We found something else that we think is better. Some some new trend, some new fad, and we're, we're going after whatever else. But it's important to understand this. That the gospel that we talked about last week, That we as mankind were sinners in need of grace. That Jesus is God who came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again to offer eternal life to each one of us who would be willing to accept it. That gospel, the moment that you alter that gospel in any way, you have undermined the character of God himself. Do you understand that? That's what Paul is showing them. It's, It's not just that you've left the truth. It's that this gospel defines who God is. This is his character. This is how we know him. This is how he's revealed himself to us. So the moment that we change that, suddenly we're looking at a different God than the God that we're shown in the Bible. Suddenly we've, we've deserted the character of God for something that, that is honestly far, far worse. And I mean, I, I think about this in some regards, going back to my daughter again and thinking about her and, and how, you know, there's a part of me that, that when your kids get in trouble and when you have to discipline them 
and, and everything that comes along with that, I mean, you expect your kid to avoid you at some, to some degree, right? I mean, you expect your kid to get upset. You expect some temper tantrums. You expect to get some of those angry eyes back from your kids, and, uh, and sometimes you get the cold shoulder. I mean, we've all been there, right? We, we know that. Everyone who has kids knows how kids can throw these little fits when they get in trouble, and they want nothing to do with mom and dad. But, but I look at my daughter, and I think, but I was just loving you. And we're not talking about discipline. We're not talking about loving through discipline. I'm talking about maybe I just fed her dinner. Maybe I was just playing with her. Maybe I just read her a book. I was doing something kind. And suddenly she turns her back on me. Suddenly, nope, I don't want to hug. I want mom, right? So you expect your kids to some degree when you're punishing them to give you the cold shoulder, but when you're passionately pursuing them and loving them, you don't expect that. And so somehow, for these Galatians, Paul came and he introduced them to Jesus. He showed them the glorious God of the Bible. He showed them how good God is that he would come and die for them. And somehow, as the Galatians were presented with the beauty of Jesus, they changed their minds. They saw something else and they got distracted. And they went for that. And so Paul keeps unpacking this for them a little bit to show them what exactly it is that they're doing, to to unpack a little bit that it is God himself who they're undermining. So when we move forward into verse 7 of Galatians chapter 1, we read, and you are turning to a different gospel. And he says something really interesting. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And and so, of course, we know that, that Jesus is exclusive to some degree, right? We understand that, that in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me, right? We know that Jesus says that. So there's no way to get to God except for Jesus. There's no way to eternal life except for Jesus. There's no way to, to any of the things that our souls desire except through Jesus. He is exclusive in that regard. So of course we know that there is no other gospel because Jesus was the only one who lived the perfect life, who died, who rose again from the grave. Going back to that gospel that Paul thought it was so important to start with for us. And every other religion out there has a bunch of dead people, right? I mean, if we're being honest, where's, where's Buddha now? Where's, where's Joseph Smith now? I mean, we, we go back and we look at all these other things, and, and there are these people who, who may have or may not have done incredible things, who may have uh, done things that, that some people were, would have thought were worth following. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one who got tired of being dead and stopped and came back to life. That says something about Christianity, and there's so much uh, just... Real, real history out there, not even just Christian history, but, but regular history out there to prove that resurrection of Christ and the way people followed him after that. So in that regard, there's no other gospel, right? We understand that there's no other way to eternal life but through Jesus. But before we unpack this anymore, I, I, I want to I unpack this word a little bit. If you remember last week, we talked about that word apostle, and we said that there are some words that we call Christianese, and, uh, and they are words that when we read the Bible, we just read of religious significance, and we kind of skip over them. Like, oh, this looks like a really religious word. Um, apostle, gospel, holy, um, 
you know, propitiation. Whatever those are, we just, we look at them and we say, yeah, that's a, that's a real uh, religious word. It means of religious significance probably, and we just keep reading. But these words actually mean something. So, so this, this word gospel, super complicated. It means good news. That's all it means. It's just good news. And so when we look at it in this regard, so much of the world today says that truth is subjective, right? Which, which means that what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. And we might not agree on what is true, but that's okay, because truth is subjective. But, but obviously we know that the God of the Bible determines truth. He says what is truth, and we don't have an option in that. So the idea then is that we live in a culture that when, when we talk about good news, well, what's good news for you and what's good news for me might be different things. And, and Paul's trying to get rid of that. See, society says that, that you may say that October is good news, and I would say, yeah, October is wonderful news because that's when the NHL season starts, and who wouldn't like that? But, but for some of you, you might say, well, yeah, of course October is good news because the World Series, right? And then some of you like some less exciting sports and would say that, that October is not exciting at all because nothing worth watching is going on then. And so society in that way says, well, truth is subjective then. You get to decide what is truth for each of you. And Paul comes in and totally challenges this idea to say that what's true is what God determined. And that gospel that God says is good news is the only good news. So we have, in some regard, we have exactly the same thing that the Galatians faced going on now. There, there are religions out there that will say that we're saved by grace through faith, just like we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, right? But they'll say, you're saved by grace through faith, and, and then you have to be baptized, or, and then you have to take communion, or, and then you have to do X amount of good works, or, or, and then you have to do, there's always something else, right? So all of the sudden, it's not the same gospel. You've changed it. You've done something to it. And what Paul is saying is, is not so much that there's no other gospel because nobody else died and rose from the grave. What Paul is saying is, is that there's no other gospel because the moment you change it, it's not good news anymore. It's bad news. The moment that my eternity rests on my shoulders, that's bad news. It's not good news anymore. I mean, if I, if I have to save myself in any regard, I'm out of luck. There's nothing I get, because even the good things that I do are out of selfishness, out of what I can get back out of those things, and my heart's not right in those things. So I can go out and I can do all the things that I want to do to try and earn my way, but Paul's saying, no, 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 no. you don't understand. This isn't even good news anymore. I mean, when I was growing up, um, I think that all of us can agree that, that generally moms are pretty wonderful, right? And so when I was growing up, uh, my mom was, was no exception to this rule, and um, it, it very much like, like what Katie and I go through with Parker and with Felicity right now. Do you guys want to guess how many times Felicity has to clean her room? <laughs> right? I mean, in reality, you could probably guess how many times dad cleans her room too. Uh, probably not very much more than she does. But, but so if the room gets cleaned, who does it? Mom has to come up and, and clean up after them. I, I remember when I was little that I could go out and, and my favorite place to play was the living room. So I would unpack my bedroom every day, drag everything out into the living room, all the toys, and there's only one way to find a toy in a toy box, and that's to dump it upside down, right? We know that. 
So, so I'd go in there, and I mean, we'd have, especially once I had a brother, we'd have two or three toy boxes. We'd drag them all in there. We'd take them in the living room while Dad was in the shower and couldn't catch us or something. And we'd flip the toy boxes upside down, and then we'd spread all the toys out so we could find what we wanted. And I mean, the living room was a disaster. But when I woke up the next morning, guess what the living room looked like? Perfect. It had been picked up, vacuumed, dusted, Everything was done. The bed that I went to sleep in a night had been made before I got in it. Guess who didn't make it? And, and so I remember uh, the first time, my dad jokes with me all the time. He still does. The same way that I joke with Parker, and he'll start crying, and I'll say, hey, Parker, I'm your dad. You need to knock it off, right? It, it doesn't work, but I try. It worked once, but that was probably just coincidence. Um, but my dad was the same way with me, that, that he, would, he would say, you know, when I was a little kid, Seth, go clean your room. And like I knew, I'm, I'm too little to go clean my room. Like my dad's just messing with me. Except for the first time that he wasn't. And so he told me, Seth, go clean your room. And I remember I laughed at him because I thought, no, 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 mom cleans my room. Like that's not my job. I don't clean my room. And my dad didn't laugh back when I laughed. And uh, no, Seth, go clean your room. So this, what used to be good news the moment that I had to get involved was no longer good news. And listen, even as a kid going and cleaning my own room, how many of you have seen a kid clean a room to dad's standards? What? Yeah, exactly. Nobody can clean a room to dad's standards, especially if your dad was in the military. So uh, mine wasn't, but still. So, so, I mean, we can go, and as a kid, I remember taking all of my toys, throwing them under the bed, sliding everything under the bed as quickly as I could, and then I'd look, and you could see everything sticking out from under the bed. But I've got a plan. You take the comforter, and you just pull it a little more down the side of the bed until it covers everything. Boom, room clean. We're good to go. And then Dad comes in, and, and he doesn't even look at the bed. Everything else is still a disaster somehow. Like, I don't know how to keep up with Dad's standards. But so in the same regard, if the standard was set by Jesus... You can try as you might to do the right things. You can try as you might to, to fit all the right categories, to do all the things that the Bible tells us to do. You can try to follow all the right traditions. But when the bar is set by Jesus, I guarantee you, you're never going to hit it. And so if there's anything that we have to do, if there's any part of this gospel that lays on us, then it's no longer gospel because it's no longer good news. That's what Paul's saying, that there, there is no other gospel because anything else is bad news. And then Paul goes on from this, and he says, in the same verse, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are always going to be people who want to try and change to a different gospel who want to try something else, who, who think that maybe I can do this myself. And Paul says flat out, it's trouble. It's, it's a distortion of the goodness of God. It's not good. But do you know why people always want to distort the gospel? Because of pride. Because the gospel undermines your pride. The gospel comes in and says, you're not good enough. You can't do this on your own. You will never reach God's standards. And, and this, I mean, this applies to all of us, of, of people coming and trying to change this gospel, because every generation, it doesn't matter which one you're a part of, every generation has a problem with pride. 
There's, there's a generation that looks and feels like they deserve everything, right? And they just, they were born into it. They deserve everything. And there's another generation that, that says, well, I can work hard enough for anything. If, if I try hard enough, I can get anything. And so you've got one generation that says, I'm good enough. And another one that says, I'm good enough. Do you get what I'm saying? Either side you're looking at. One just says, I'm inherently enough. One side says, I can do enough. I can be enough. I can force myself to be enough. But what's at the root of this either way that you look at it? It's pride. You're saying that I can work myself out of this, that I deserve something better, that I can get something more because I'm good enough. I mean, has, has anybody ever finished a project, crossed off every item on a to-do list, built something from start to finish? Have we ever done that? It feels good, right? It feels good to bring something to completion, to be able to accomplish something yourself. There's, there's, a, there's something in our souls that desires accomplishing something like that. And so at the same token, we have this inside of us that wants to accomplish something, and then God comes in and says, you can't do it. I'm sorry you're not good enough. You're too broken. You need someone to do this for you. And so it's easy for me to come in and say, well, what if, what if, what if I do this? No. You're not, well, what, if, what if I do this? No. You're, it doesn't matter how you cut it, how you look at it, how you change the gospel. It's no longer the gospel at that point. It's trouble. And, and I think it's important for us to key in here as well that, that oftentimes those who are that trouble, those who are coming in distorting the gospel are very rarely doing it intentionally. It's not so much that they want to come in and ruin this for you. They're not intentionally coming in and distorting things and changing things. Oftentimes, they're simply just adding the traditions that they've known to the gospel. That's the same thing that was happening exactly in Galatians, is people who had the truth were making a good thing a God thing. And they were taking their traditions and the other things that they knew, and they were saying, no, 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 you also have to do this. Saved by grace through faith, plus something else. And Paul's saying that's, that's not a gospel at all anymore. There are those who will distort the gospel and can be spotted from a mile away because they're, they're just glowing with greed and pride and, and all these other things. You can see them. You've seen a lot of them on television, Right? That we can see these people who preach something wrong for themselves. They're doing it intentionally. But there are plenty of those who have no idea that they're doing it. They have no idea that they're distorting the gospel. Because it's all out of good intentions. It's that I want you to have the same thing that I have. I want you to have the same experiences that I have. But, but listen to this. Key into this. The only experience for each of us that should be the same is redemption through Jesus. Your journey as a disciple of Jesus will look different than mine. Sometimes the music, the stage, the people, whatever else can come together and make my faith journey a lot easier and they might make yours harder. That doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. The only thing that should be the same is that redemption through Jesus. But your journey in discipleship will be different from others. 
So those traditions, those other things that can be good things, we can't make those God things. It, it's so often that I think, you know what, I, I read up, grew up reading this translation of the Bible and I got saved, so this is the only one that counts. This is the only one that we can do because it worked for me. But, but is that the case? We know that's not the case, right? Because again, when we come back and we look at the same thing we talked about last week, what did Jesus always do? He met people where they were. In your brokenness, in your mess, in your own culture, and said, okay, baby steps. Follow me. Make me Lord of your life, and let's take some baby steps. I'll bring you into this perfection. I'll bring you into this kingdom. But each one of us has a different walk. And have, have you ever watched parents of sports games? That, and I'm talking not just parents of sports games in general, but have you ever seen like at a soccer game or something, you got that dad that's like 400 pounds screaming at his kid to run faster, run faster, run faster, and you're on the sidelines thinking to yourself, you couldn't run if you tried, dude. Like, what? Why are you screaming at this kid? He's like five. He barely even knows which goal is his. I mean, come on, cut him a break. And But so many times, this is us in the Christian world. This is us at church screaming at other people saying, no, this is the way that we have to do it. This is the gospel. This is how Christian life has to be lived out. And, and, but we haven't done any of it ourselves. We couldn't run if we tried. We haven't been practicing. We haven't flexed that service muscle yet. And so we, we think we know everything about it, but, but in reality, so many of us are that five-year-old that doesn't even know which goal is the right one yet. We don't need somebody to scream at us. We just need somebody to take us by the hand and say, hey, let's, let's take some baby steps. Let's figure out where we're going. Let's, let's practice this. Some of us are telling each other how to live out Christianity, and in reality, we don't actually have any idea what Christianity looks like. And so here's what it comes down to. This, for each of us, again, this is our own journey in discipleship. Your own process of reading the Bible, letting God explain things to you through the Bible, uh, learning these things, fleshing them out, learning how to serve, learning what your gift is, where you fit into all of this. Because again, you're not going to have the same gifts that I do nine times out of ten. And, and then, so we have to recognize that, that maybe you are that person who's been screaming at somebody, at that five-year-old kid that they need to run faster, and, and you have yet to do it yourself. Well, Paul unpacks this for a little bit, and these are Paul's words, not mine. So Paul goes in, in verses 8 through 9, and he says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then he keeps going, and he says, As we've said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, first of all, Keep in mind here that when Paul wrote this, he didn't have the option of bold, italics, underline, etc., highlights, didn't have that option. So you know what Paul did when he wanted to make a point? He said it twice. And what just happened here? So, so this is your opportunity. Circle, highlight, underline, whatever it is you need to do in your Bible, this is a big deal. We need to take a step back and rethink our religion. Rethink what it is that I'm doing in my own Christian walk. Is the main thing the main thing? Am I pushing for the music that I want, for the service that I want, for, for uh, the screens that I want, or, or whatever else? Or am I pushing that we would know Jesus fully? 
that we would see the main thing and that we would pursue him at all costs, regardless of everything else going on around us. I mean, Paul even goes so far as to say, I don't care if it's an angel that comes from the throne rooms of God and comes down to this earth and starts preaching a different gospel. What I know is this, is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the gospel that Jesus himself preached. So if an angel comes preaching something else, yeah, let him be cursed too. Because it's wrong. Because it's false. And all of this is rooted in this for Paul. And this is, this is really important. Paul's just not some angry, grumpy guy that's 400 pounds yelling at his five-year-old kid on the sidelines, right? No, Paul is deeply, deeply concerned with souls of men. Paul recognizes the moment that you alter that gospel, all the people that hear it are going to be confused. They're not going to see Jesus for who he is. They're not going to see that goodness that he came to them so desperate to preach. I mean, listen, when you've met Jesus... There's nothing you want more than for other people to meet him, to see the same Jesus that you've gotten to meet, the same goodness that you've gotten to see. And Paul unpacks his heart for us in this a little bit, going on in Galatians 1.10. And Paul says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Can I be totally honest with you, church? It's really easy for me to come up here with an attitude to please man. If I'm being 100% honest, I know the things that people want to hear. I know the things that are easy to say, the things that are easy to teach. I mean, listen, I've seen lots of pastors out there who come out and they preach some really inspirational messages every week. They avoid these parts of the Bible that talk about the bad things that happen. Uh, They they don't want to talk about the realities of not just heaven, but, but they don't want to talk about the realities of hell, of the judgment of God, or any of those things. And I look at that and I say, that, that seems pretty good. Because when you preach the things that people like, they come back and, and they compliment you on, on what you're teaching and things are good and you feel good, and that seems great. But when I take a step back and look at this, I have to ask the question every single week. I have to take precautions every single week for am I now, right here, right now, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And Paul even says in here, he says, if I were still trying to please man, he uses that word still, because Paul recognized that where he came from, his background as a Pharisee, was all to please man, was all to look good, was all to get people to notice him. And and can I be honest with you again? All of us start there. You know why my son screams so often? Because he wants us to pay attention to him. He wants us to hold him all the time. We're not allowed to put him down. When Felicity was little, we weren't allowed to sit when we rocked her to sleep. She wanted us to stand. She wanted a certain level of respect from mom and dad, right? Because she earned that. Like Paul recognizes we all have the potential to regress back to where we were. To take a step back. It's easy to, to look at things and say, you know what? I just want this for me for once. If, if I could just one time have this for me. And Paul's saying, don't you dare. This has never been about you. This is so much bigger than you. So, so I want to ask you the question then. Why then do you do what you do? Specifically, why do you come to church on Sundays? Why are you sitting in the pew right now? Is, is it because... 
it makes you look good compared to your neighbors. It's because it, it makes you feel good that as long as you're going to church, you must be doing something right. You, or it makes you feel good because I got to do something to earn my way up to those pearly gates. Or is it because you have a genuine, deep, rooted desire in your heart that I desperately want to be a disciple of Jesus? At all costs, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. So in everything that you do, right here, right now, asking the question for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? We have so much of a tendency to fall into all sorts of different gospels, if we're being honest. The gospel of works, the gospel of preference, the gospel of comfort, the gospel of of whatever, you name it. And so we we have to go back to Galatians 1 through 5 and, and look at what is the gospel? What is that foundation? And when everything is said and done, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I mean, I check myself on this every single week. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm pointing the finger at me too. But every single one of us needs to ask this question. The job that you go to, the, the way that you treat your children, the, the way that you interact with your neighbors, whether or not you share the gospel, comes down to this question. Who are you trying to impress? Whose heart are you really after? What's wrong is when our comfort, when works, when preference go from being good things and are elevated to God things and shifts our gospel. It shifts our understanding of the fundamental character of God. And we lose our mission. We can come to church every week and and do the things that we've always done, but if our mission's right there, we fizzle out and die. We're done. Because, because why is Jesus going to come to a church that's not even looking at him and say, you know what, I want more people to hear this gospel? It's not going to happen. If he's the one behind it, he's looking at, is the main thing the main thing? And so what all of this means for us is, is for us to take a step back and rethink religion, rethink what is it that I truly believe? What is the main thing in my life? And why is it the main thing? Because whatever is the main thing in your life is the main thing based on one of these two things. You're either after the approval of man, of yourself, the people around you, or you're chasing after being a disciple of Jesus at all costs, laying your life down, picking up your cross daily to follow Jesus. And so God, we come into your presence this morning thankful again uh, for, for... who you are, for the gospel that you've given us. We thank you for, for loving us in spite of our tendencies to go in all sorts of other different directions. And we ask that as we, as we move forward as a church, that we could focus on making the main thing the main thing, that, that you would be the forefront of everything that we do, every decision that we make, every ministry that we're a part of, every soul that we encounter, that our heart would be for you, Jesus that we would remember your death, your burial, your resurrection, that, that free gift of salvation that you offer to us. And at the heart of everything, that would be our motivation, that that would be what drives us forward, and that would be the gospel that we preach in every circumstance. God, we thank you and we love you, and we ask that you would press this onto each of our hearts to grow us closer to you and help us to fall more deeply in love with you. 
And again, we're just thankful for Jesus and his death on the cross for us. It's in his perfect name that we pray. Amen.